God, I want to thank you for the grace of Jesus that we have sung about, we have heard declared so beautifully, beauty for ashes, the the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, taking our brokenness and our fallenness and our hurt and our pain and the the ashes that remain of our own self-destruction and transforming them, resurrecting them to beautiful new life. We praise you for Jesus. And I ask you, Lord, would you do something that only you can do among us? Would you you allow us to see Christ for who he really is, to see our lives for how they really are, and to call out to Christ, Lord, may Jesus be beautiful to us today. And Lord, I pray that you would not only work in this room and over the radio as we teach, over the internet as we teach, I pray for all of the gospel teaching churches of this community. I wanna thank you for my good friend and partner, Corky. Lord, I pray that you would encourage him today, fill him with joy as he teaches your word. Make him bold and courageous and faithful to the scripture. I pray that the people of God that are the Georgiana United Methodist Church would go out like a mighty army in love with Christ and loving on this world in this community. Thank you for the ways that they have partnered with us in various uh, events and programs, ministries, and just the brotherhood of love that we get to share. God, I pray that we would all the rest of our lives labor hard to make Jesus Christ known to every man, woman, child in Merritt Island in this community. Do that work among us, Lord, and we will praise you for it and glorify your name. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible there that is in the version I'll be teaching out of, which is the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you don't own your own copy of the Bible, go ahead and take that paperback Bible. That's our gift to you. We want everyone who leaves this place to leave with a copy of God's word for themselves. We believe God uses his word to make himself known most clearly in our world. So Philippians chapter three, we're gonna continue our, our series of study and wrap up this chapter. We're actually gonna go to verse one of chapter four this morning. And as you're turning to Philippians three, I was thinking about something in light of this morning's message. And it's that in a lot of ways, we are living in a culture of high alert. A lot has changed about the way we go throughout our day since, especially in my life, uh, September 11th, 2001. The events of that day and the events that have followed after it, the the numerous acts of terrorism and violence in our culture has caused us, at least in my family, to live with a greater sense of awareness of the culture that we're living in. There's this this routine that, that we have now that we didn't really have before where we're looking out at the world around us and we're taking note about how people live, about how people behave, how they act. For instance, um, even as a church staff, we have routine training for our staff and, and leadership on how to recognize threats, how to be prepared in situations uh, in case there are acts of violence or, 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 or things that, that happen in an emergency around us. We have to be prepared in advance because when we're on the spot, we need to know how to spot potentially dangerous situations. And sometimes it can really be the difference between life and death. And I was thinking about that this week because in a really similar way, the apostle Paul in this text is recognizing that the world in which he lived was filled with threats against the work of Jesus Christ. The way that he says it is that there are many enemies of Jesus Christ. And I shouldn't have to convince you 
you. I, I don't need to say a whole lot to tell you that the world in which we live 2,000 years later hasn't changed a whole lot, right? We still are surrounded with threats, with people who oppose the work and the name of Jesus Christ. And this passage of scripture really for us is an instructional routine. It's a, a training text on how we can spot an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, let's look at Philippians chapter three. We're gonna read through chapter four, verse one, which I think is included in this paragraph. Philippians three seventeen, the apostle Paul writes, brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus, or stand firm like this in the Lord who is Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for us this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is that Paul is right out of the chute emphasizing the importance of how we live. Look at verse 17. He says, hey brothers, imitate me. That's a way of saying, do what I do. Live the way that I live. Verse 17 goes on to say, keep your eyes or focus your attention on those who walk like us. That phrase, walk like us, is a description of a way of life. In the Bible, the term walk or walking is often a description of how a person actually lives. So he says, do what I do, live like I live, and also live like those who live like us. So how, how you live, is important because Paul's emphasizing, hey, live like us and live like people who live like us. And here's what he's doing. He's showing us, he's starting to lay the foundation for us to consider how extremely important the way we live actually is. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I do want to warn you guys about a version of Christianity that makes it seem like God doesn't care how you live. Guys, there, there are, are teachers out there who would teach you a version of something they call grace that makes it seem like God doesn't care how you live. The Bible refers to this as license or licentiousness. There's some people who say, listen, we're made right with God by the work of Jesus Christ, by everything he has done, not that we have done, and we're made right with God by his life and his death and his resurrection. So, and here's the wrong conclusion they make, so it doesn't matter what we do. Those teachers are sometimes teaching something that says grace is really just this license to sin. And guys, I wanna, I wanna say as clearly as I can, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. You need to hear that. Grace indeed is the free gift of God that makes us right with him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And grace is the free gift of God that transforms our life 
through our death to sin, through our death to sin, by the resurrection power of Jesus in and through us. You need to hear this this morning. Grace of God through Jesus doesn't just save us from the penalty of our sin. The grace of God through Jesus saves us from the power and the patterns of our sin as well. Here's here's a way I was thinking about that. The Bible teaches that if the gospel you say you believe doesn't affect how you behave, then you either don't believe it or it isn't the gospel. Did you hear that? If the gospel you say you believe doesn't affect how you behave, then you either don't believe it or it isn't the gospel because the grace of God saves us and transforms us through the resurrection power of Jesus. And so Paul urges these Christians to follow his example and follow the example of other believers who are living out of the transforming power of Jesus Christ graciously working in them. Now look at verse 18. He says, for many, that's another way of saying, there are a lot of people of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk, there's that word again, live their way of life. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Stop right there. Notice that Paul says, it's their walk. It's the way they live that's an issue here. It's not exactly or necessarily what they say. It's how they live that makes them enemies of the cross. And I think in a lot of terms, Paul is using a broad phrase. There are a lot of people who live like enemies of the cross. But I think in particular, he's addressing a group of people who are enemies of Jesus, not by what they say, but by how they live. Now, notice how the, the, the tone of voice has changed. If you guys recognize, a few weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter three, and Paul was talking about false teachers who, who openly taught something that was against the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely that you had to believe in Jesus and work, do good things to keep yourself acceptable to God. Those individuals who spoke openly against Christ that way, who taught with their words something that was antithetical to the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, Paul is furious with them. He, he says they're dogs. And I know for all you dog lovers, uh, that sounds like maybe a good thing. That's not a good thing in first century. The, the dogs were the, the group of animals on the street that you just wanted to stay away from. He says those kind of people who openly, they, they attest something that isn't true and they undermine the work of Christ or the gospel of Christ. They are dogs. He's furious with them. But in this verse, notice his, his tone of voice has changed. He's not furious. He's brokenhearted. He says, I am telling you now, even with tears, I am crying my eyes out when I think about these people because these people are a group of people who know all the right things to say. These are the group of people who can recite a lot of truth about who Jesus is. These are the people who could ace the test that we give in Sunday school. If you guys haven't had your Sunday school test lately, we're going we're to issue that for you. No, I'm kidding. They, 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 they could be the ones who answer all the answers correctly about who Jesus is. This is the group of people who would tell you all the right things about legalism. And they'd tell you all the right things about paganism. And they'd tell you all the right things about how you should love Jesus and value Jesus and worship Jesus above everything else. They could say all the right things about Jesus, but their lives reflected something totally different than their words. 
Here's why that hit me so hard. As I was thinking about that this week and praying about that this week, here's what it seems that Paul is doing. He's teaching these people and us in in turn the importance of how you and I actually live our day-to-day lives because there is a large group of people who will say all the right things about Jesus but will live in a way that proves they're actually his enemies. Remember what Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount? There will be many who come to me one day and they can't call me Lord. Lord, didn't we do all of this stuff? And he says, get away from me. I never knew you. Paul says there are many, many people on a wide road who say the right things, but they live in a way that reveals they're actually enemies of Jesus. Let let me just say that in a different way. It seems like Paul wants us to know how to spot an enemy of the cross of Jesus because he doesn't want us to wake up one morning and have an enemy of the cross looking back at us in the mirror. Right? Think of this text that way. He is warning us about enemies of the cross because he doesn't want us to wake up one morning and find we have been living as virtual enemies of Jesus. Guys, how you live matters. How you live on Monday will prove what you meant on Sunday. In many, many ways, what you do more than what you say will reveal whether or not you're truly a worshiper of Jesus Christ and a servant of the Most High God or someone who could talk a really good game. And so when we look at this passage of scripture, what I am praying will happen for a group of religious people who are inclined to be in a room like this on a Sunday morning because it's Sunday morning is that we would not hear these words and think about all of the people who need to hear them. Have you ever done that? Man, I wish he was here. He could so use this. We think about the people in our lives. Think about you in this, all right? Allow this teaching to be a sobering thought in your heart and sink into your own life. And so I have tried to pray and and prepare in this teaching in a way that is deeply personal, that hits my heart really hard as another religious person who says a lot of the really good things. And I'm praying it hits your heart that same way. So let's look at what Paul says about how to spot an enemy of the cross. Look at verse 19. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. His first description of an enemy of the cross is that their end is destruction. Here's what I believe he's doing here. This is a sobering warning. He's saying, here's why this matters. Because when you're an enemy of the cross, there's a destiny over your life, an eternal destiny. Eternity itself will hang on whether or not you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And for every person who dies without placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, their ultimate end is destruction. I know it isn't popular But hell is for real, even if we don't talk about it. 
The Bible teaches so clearly that there is really a place of eternal suffering separated from the joy and the pleasure of Almighty God, a place in which eternal punishment for our rebellion against God is forever poured out, and those people who are truly enemies of Christ will spend eternity in that place of eternal destruction. Guys, that thought should sober us to our core. This teaching matters to you today. This teaching matters to you for eternity because your response to this truth will determine eternally significant events for you. The the reality of this first hit me um, when I was about 14 years old. When I was 14 years old, um, one of my very best friends, his name was Dwayne Williams. Dwayne was walking in the streets of Columbus, Ohio, visiting his uncle. And he had this nice jacket. Some of you guys will remember this. He had this nice jacket. It was a starter jacket. It was really popular back in the 90s. Dwayne had a brand new jacket, and he was walking down the streets of Columbus, Ohio. And at 14 years old, a group of guys jumped out, demanded Dwayne give them his jacket, and he wouldn't do it. So they took his jacket, and they stabbed him to death. 14. One of my close friends growing up in school, 14 years old, first time it hit me because here's the reality. This is the first time that I had a name and a face and a reality to, to say this. I'm 39 years old and for 25 years, for 25 years, Every moment since the final moment of Dwayne's life has been spent in eternity. He he has been somewhere he will be eternally. And there is no guarantee that that moment will not meet us today. And for those of you that come here every week, I hope that you know that I am not one to try and manipulate people. This isn't some scare tactic. But this is the truth, guys. We have no guarantee of the very next moment, but we do have every guarantee that in our final moment, we will pass into an eternity that will never end And if we pass from this life to eternity without Jesus Christ as our Savior, we pass into an eternal end that can only be described as destruction. So sober us. That's why this conversation matters for you. It's eternally significant. No matter what good things you say, if you are not authentically trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't have the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. And if you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then you're an enemy of his cross that gives you that righteousness and your eternal end is destruction. Enemies of the cross have an end, and it is destruction. Paul goes on to not only sober us with that warning, he says this, their end is destruction. Look at their life before their end. Their God is their belly, in verse 19. Their God and their belly. Listen, that doesn't mean that they literally worship their stomachs, okay? That's not what this is saying. That word belly is often translated appetite, 
It's a reference to the the bodily desire for natural urges. It means rather than desiring God as God, they desire the pleasures of this earth as their God. They're ruled in their lives by their desires for worldly pleasures. And now listen, for most moral religious people like this room, this doesn't hit us all that hard because we think about some crazy indulgent life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll culture that feels like it's a world away from us in Merritt Island. Don't think about this that way. Think about this as the appetite that drives the way you live. What, what hunger, what desire motivates your day in and day out existence? What thirst, what desire pushes you through life? For some, it's the desire for material things that drives them literally throughout their life. They want, they hunger for a nicer home, a better car, a bigger budget. And so they get out of bed every morning and that hunger drives them to go to work. They want more money to spend on nicer homes or better cars. And their day-to-day existence is found in this pursuit of more and more stuff. Even if they say they love Jesus, the way they live reveals they'd rather have more stuff than him. You have more desire to go shopping or working or to afford the stuff you've already financed more than you have a desire to know Jesus and make him known. Friends, be careful because your God may be your appetite for stuff and that would reveal you live like an enemy of the cross. And that could be said for all kinds of stuff like power, influence, recreation, leisure, sports, relaxation, video games, smartphones, politics, any number of earthly pleasures, regardless of what they say, people who are driven through their life with a desire for earthly pleasures as their primary motive are driven and living like enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. It hit me hard because it made me feel sober about waking up first thing in the morning and wanting to know the score of the game more than I wanted to know what Jesus had to say for my day. Wanting to know what occurred in this crazy carnival called politics these days more than I want to know Jesus and his voice for me that day. Enemies of the cross live with an appetite And they worship their desire for earthly stuff more than they're hungering for Christ. Look at another description of the enemy of the cross here in verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. That means they boast about things they should be ashamed of and they don't even realize it. I could not help but think about some of the groups that have been protesting these last few weeks. Uh, especially the stories I kept hearing about the group protesting for so-called reproductive rights. Just reading the stories, the lewd, filthy language and the way in which things like abortion were so deeply celebrated as these wonderful things that just broke my heart to hear people boasting and glorying in something that is so deeply harmful. So contrary to the heart of God and the well-being of his people, 
to, to, to think of things being displayed that I couldn't even, I can't even talk about in mixed company. I would never talk about it in the presence of your kids or my kids. And those things were displayed on billboards and t-shirts and posters all throughout the streets of this nation. I couldn't help but think about this. They glory in their shame. They boast in things they should be ashamed of and they don't even know it. But, but hold on, hold on. No, let's not get outside this room. What about the rampant greed and materialism of the evangelical church when we post our gluttonous desire for more and more stuff all over our social media accounts? And I'm not saying having a comfortable home or a reliable car is a sin. I'm not saying that at all. Don't, don't twist my words to mean that I'm not saying that. But what about the fact that millions of children all around the world are dying from preventable diseases and malnutrition while we spend trillions of dollars satisfying our lust for more and more and more stuff that we don't need? What about the fact that there's an army of missionaries that are waiting to be sent to the hardest fields of of harvest on this earth if we would be willing to generously give so we could mobilize and send them? There is a mountain of consumer debt and credit cards maxed out that are compiled by evangelical Christians in the Church of America and it's preempting our ability to give generously toward Jesus and his mission and all the while we shamelessly display our excessive spending trying to impress a group of people who don't love Jesus or us. We're billboards for materialism and greed trying to satisfy our desires that could only be satisfied in Jesus and fulfilled by his love. This one hit me hard too. No matter what they say about how wonderful Jesus are, is enemies of the cross glory and boast about things they should be ashamed of, like their own sin and their own pride and their own greed and their own materialism and rampant rebellion. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. And the last phrase is with minds set on earthly things. That is a summary statement in my mind of everything we've been talking about. Their minds are preoccupied with the stuff of this world. Jobs, reputations, possessions, hobbies, businesses, whatever. Morning, noon, and night is nothing but this display of seeking after things and thinking about things that are just trained transient, temporary things of this world. That's how you spot an enemy of the cross. You don't listen to their words. You look at their lives. Enemies of Jesus are people who have their minds focused on this world, who, who, who glory in what they should really be ashamed of, whose God, their real God, the one they really worship, the one they really want, no matter what they say, is their appetite for stuff of this world and whose end will ultimately be destruction. So what do we do? How do we leave with hope? What do we do in light of this? I want you to look at verses 20 through chapter four, verse one. Guys, I hope this, I hope this next phrase, this next verse, this next portion of scripture just makes your heart beat fast. Verse 20, but our citizen, but here's how we live. Our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in Jesus, he says. 
How do we live? What do we do? How does our life reflect that we're not an enemy of the cross? We boast in the cross of Jesus. Let me give you two things first. Followers of Jesus live with the end in mind. Notice what he's saying here. Look forward, look forward, look forward. Our citizenship is in heaven. And one day we're going home. He said, here, here, people who boast in the cross of Jesus, they live, and I love this, this old song, some of you guys are gonna love it. They live like this world is not their home. They're just passing through. Their treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon them from heaven's open door and they can't feel at home in this world anymore. You guys know that one? I'll teach it to you someday. Here's the story. People who embrace Christ live like this whole thing. This whole thing called life on earth is a temporary setup. Imagine if you were sent overseas on your job for 80, 90 days. You had to go overseas, you had to work a job, you got paid over there. You lived in a hotel and you were told this, you cannot take anything you buy with you, but you can send everything you earn on ahead. How would you live? I mean, would you be, would you be decking out your hotel room in extravagant furniture, putting, putting expensive paintings all over the walls of that hotel room? Would you, would you be storing it up for 80 or 90 days in a hotel room you're gonna leave and you can't take it with you? Guys, our lives on this earth are nothing more than glorified hotel rooms. 80 or 90 years at the most. And followers of Jesus live like all of this stuff is coming to an end, so they hold it really loosely. Says this stuff, this stuff, I don't live like this is forever. This world is not my home. In the 1800s, there was a man named James Calvert, and he felt that God was calling him to go to a, as a missionary to a group of cannibals in the Fiji Islands. So Calvert and his wife, one of their good friends, they went to missionary to be missionaries to these cannibals. And the captain of the ship that was going to Fiji tried to talk these people out of going. He said, listen, you're gonna lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go live among those savages. And here's how Calvert replied, we died before we came. James Calvert knew that a Christian's home is heaven, not earth, and he dies to living here as a permanent scenario. He knew that he'd already been crucified with Christ and Christ now lived in him with resurrection power. And that perspective enabled him to follow God's call all the way to the ends of the earth, even to cannibals in the Fiji Islands because he knew there's nothing for him to lose because heaven itself is his home. And I just want you to know Calvert didn't get killed when he reached the Fiji Islands. He lived there for several years. He learned the language. He was able to produce 5,000 copies of the very first complete edition of the Fijian Bible and 10,000 copies of the New Testament. And on Calvert's tombstone is engraved this epitaph. Of this blessed man, let this praise be given. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Is heaven in you? So this, this appetite, I gotta tell you, the, the longer and longer that I live, the more that I feel like I am a stranger here. Yes. Some of you hardly say amen to that. That I'm as a stranger here. There's something more. Something so much more. The, the advertising schemes look like such a charade to me. 
promising things they'll never deliver. This world is not my home. Friends, what would change about your life if you prioritized eternally significant things? What if you lived for the sake of Jesus in this community? where you live, work, and play among people who are far from God but near to you, if you thought about the end and the goal of your life being more than being 80 or 90 years old, but you saw eternity in heaven as your home and realized you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, how would you pour out your time and your talent and your treasure for the glory of Jesus in this community? Is heaven in you before you're in heaven? Guys, live with the end in mind. I, uh, I'll never forget when I was, I think, around 12 years old, my parents let me and one of my close friends go to Cedar Point. When I grew up in Ohio. Cedar Point is a, an amusement park. Uh, it's not like a Disney World. It has real roller coasters, real ones, the greatest in the world. And so we spent an entire day, and here's, here's one of the things that, that mom and dad said. We're going we're gonna to drop you off. Josh's mom and dad, they're going to pick you up across the Bay, Sandusky's on Lake Erie, Cedar Point's a peninsula that goes out into the lake, across the bay, back in Sandusky. So here's what you've got to do, guys. You have to, listen, you have to save enough of your money to afford a ride back home on the ferry that goes from Cedar Point to the bay. That's your ride home. So Josh took his money, I took my money, we went in, first thing, we found an arcade, and we blew all of our money on video games. Just blew it all. And there was this thing that happened about six or seven o'clock at night where we realized we got to get home and we don't have any money. And so Josh took the right side, I took the left side, and we went through the park looking in every telephone, pay telephone and vending machine to find quarters to pay our way back. There was this thing that dawned on us, the end is coming. We lived and we would have lived in a certain way. At the beginning of the day, if we had remembered there was an end of the day. Some of us are blowing our lives in a, in a perpetual video game. Some of us literally, just a word to the 27-year-olds in here, don't become a 35-year-old living on your parents' couch playing video games all night long, all right? That's just my blessed word for you today. Don't do that. There's an end in mind. Guys, Followers of Jesus live with the end in mind and realize this is a passing day. Your life is a vapor. It's here for a while and vanishes away. Live with the end in mind. And I want you to notice the other thing here, and this is how we'll close. True followers of Jesus, they live with the end in mind, and true followers of Jesus look to Jesus to rescue them. Look at verse 20 again. Our citizenship is in heaven. We live with a home in mind, and it isn't this. And from it, look at this, I love this. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, who? It enables him even to subject what? All things to himself. Look at verse four. Therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again as our savior and will transform us into who we were created to be because he can subject everything to himself. Therefore, in light of that, my brothers whom I love and I long for my joy and my crown. Stand firm like that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, here's, what, here's how, how I, I take that to me. So we talk about living as an enemy of the cross. 
And I talk about, I'm telling you these things. Hey, do you, do you spend your time? Do you spend your treasure? Spend your talent? Do you wake up in the morning driven by a desire for Jesus more than the score of the game, more than the, uh, an advance of your career, more, more than whatever those things would be? And, and some of your hearts are condemned immediately. You'd say, no, if someone looked at my life, they would not look at my life and say, that guy lives like a man on fire seeking after Jesus Christ above all things. You'd say, no, that's not how I'm described. Followers of Jesus don't respond to that kind of condemnation and guilt by huddling up and giving themselves a pep talk about how they're going to do it different this week. That's how followers of Jesus do. Followers of Jesus say this that's why I need Jesus. You hear that? They don't do the whole, hey, here's my plan for this week. Tell you what, I'm going to wake up at 5.30 every morning this week. I'm going to get in the Bible first thing, even when I'm tired. When my mind don't, when it, when it doesn't work right, I'm going to read the Bible. That's what I'm going to do. When I can't read, I'm going to read the Bible because my mind doesn't work right. I'm going to get up early and do that every single day of this week. And, and even when my kids are driving me nuts, I'm not going to help my wife out. I'm going to read the Bible because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow after Jesus. Here's all the stuff I'm going to do. I'm going to do. Followers of Jesus don't make their plans based on what they're going to do. Followers of Jesus live their lives looking to Christ and what only he can do. He says, for from our home, we await a savior who is Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus is gonna do. He's gonna take all the broken stuff in me, all the things I can't do for myself, all the stuff that goes astray. I'm driving a car out of alignment. It's constantly driving towards some ditch or another. Jesus is gonna fix that mess. He's gonna transform me. He's gonna make everything that's wrong about me right about me by his power. Followers of Jesus look to Christ to be for them what they can't be for themselves and stand firm like that in the Lord don't take this message as some impetus in your life to start making New Year's resolutions you already blew in the month of January don't get on that carousel of failure take this as exhibit A B, C, and D of why you need Jesus and call out to Christ. Here's my hope. As I was thinking about this and this reality in my life and I was thinking about all the stuff in my own life as I'm gonna teach this to you and I look at my own life and I think it doesn't match up 100%. Like last week, I'm saying I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Here's what happens. That's why I need Jesus. Guys, this is a text all about hypocrites in the church. Did you know that? That's what this is saying. They say one thing, they live another way. A lot of people come here and they say, hey, my biggest complaint about Christianity is, is the hypocrites in the church. Can't say hypocrites in the church. Listen, don't be put off with hypocrites in the church. Just don't be one. All right? There have been hypocrites in the church from the very beginning. It's not hypocrisy when you say I'm deeply broken and I'm sinful and I can't get it done and I can't put it all together and I can't make it happen in me and that's why I need Jesus. That's not hypocrisy. That's the gospel. That is Christianity. So this morning, here's the call. Follow after people like Paul and people who live like Paul who say I'm not there yet. 
I don't want to be an enemy of Christ because I need Jesus. And Jesus alone can do in me what I need done. I can't do it by my resolutions, by my resolve, by my power, by my ability, by my plans. I need Jesus. And I'm living with the end in mind because one day Jesus is coming and he's going to rescue me from my own mess. He's going to rescue me and he's going to change me. He's going to change me. He's going to make me be what I couldn't and should have been always in my hope, my joy, my peace, my salvation. My life is Jesus. Guys, stand firm in Christ that way. All right? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I want to encourage you to take inventory about the way you live. Please don't think about the other people in your life who need to hear this. Think about you. Are you living Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday as someone who's driven by an appetite for stuff of this world? In all honesty, you would say, that's how I live. That's my life. Are you living displaying outwardly things like greed and selfishness and pride and morality lying as you project yourself to be something you're not boasting in something you should be ashamed of and don't even realize it is your mind fixed is your thoughts fixed on the stuff of this world However that crosses your life, I want to encourage you. First of all, are you, do you recognize that this life is coming to an end? And are you sure that heaven is your home? Are you certain that heaven is your home? That you're a citizen of heaven because you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus? That he lived a life you couldn't live, a perfect life. He died the death you should have died, a sacrifice for your sin. And he rose again from the dead to give you the power to live a brand new life. Are you trusting in Christ? If you're not, I want to encourage you right now, call on Jesus. In a moment, our pastors will be down front. They'd love to talk to you about your relationship with Christ. Don't leave this room. Don't enter into the next moment without knowing Christ as your Savior. For those of you that say, I I do recognize Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, I want to encourage you, would you call out to Jesus? Would you acknowledge Jesus? If you don't save me, if you don't rescue me, if you don't change me, I will not be changed. Would you ask that Jesus would show you today how he's calling you to live like heaven is your home. Like this world and all of its stuff will pass away and it's temporary and you have it, but you don't live for it. And to align your life with the eternal purpose of Christ. Maybe you'd pray, God, would you make heaven be in me even before I'm in heaven? Father, do among us what only you can do. Stir our hearts and as we get ready to sing this song of praise about Jesus, Stir our hearts to sing it in truth and conviction. As people who are looking to Christ to rescue them.
counting on Jesus to change them. Wanting for Christ to be their everything in life and death. Do that work in us, pray. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.